and welcome to you. If you're new to the show, this is part two of the A Year in Horror London Fright Fest 2023 special. Kaplooey! There we go. So yeah, before we get into the coverage of Friday at Fright Fest 2023, I'm going to once again give you that little bit of behind the curtain information of how we've put this together. So there is myself, I'm Paul, and my co-host for this five-part series, Mr. Mark Canali. What we've done is we've recorded reviews and all our thoughts, but we've done it out of sequence over the past month or so. Then what I've done is I've put them in order for each day, much like they'd be if we were there ourselves watching it along with you. We had a flipping amazing time doing this. And if you enjoy it and you're at the festival when they come out, well then, why don't you just be awesome? Do the thing. And that thing would be maybe sharing the episode about online or telling your friends. Maybe you could even send us an email at yearinhorror at gmail.com or tweet us at notwellapod. Whatever you want to do, that's great. And even if you just want to consume it on your own, do nothing else. Well then, good for you. Thanks a lot for listening. And I'm going to hand over to myself right now for the intros. And then I'm going to speak to my ever special delightful guest on this. It is my co-host for Fright Fest. It is Mr. Mark Canali. But before that, it's my introduction, right? So I'm going to play the music. At 10.45 in the morning, it lives inside, it is the European premiere, it lives inside, that is the name of the film, Empire Studio screen, it lives inside. Its director is Bishal Dutta. It stars Megan Suri, Nuru Bajwa, Mahana Krishnan, Betty Gabriel, it is a USA production, it is 99 minutes long. Following this at 12.55 in the Discovery screen number two, it is the international premiere of Black Mold. Now, Black Mold, its director is John Pater, and it stars Agnes Albright, Andrew Bales, and Jeremy Holm. It's a USA production, and it was 92 minutes long. Next up, coming in at 83 minutes long, it is a UK production and it is the world premiere in the super screen. It's called A Million Days. It aired at 1 o'clock and the director of this one was Mitch Jenkins and it starred Simon Merrills, Kemi Bo Jacobs, Hermione Caulfield and, of course, Darren De Silva. But if you didn't want to watch A Million Days, well then Creeping Death is the world premiere over at the Empire Studio screen 10 minutes later. At 1.10 in the afternoon, you could catch this. The director is Matt Samper, and it starred Monique Parent, Scott Lear, the director Matt Samper, Delion Lincourt. It's a USA production, 93 minutes long. But if you didn't fancy a million days and you didn't fancy creeping death, 
maybe you want to be at the international premiere of Eight Eyes. That was five minutes later, 1.15 over on the third Discovery screen. The director of that one is Austin Jennings and it starred Emily Sweet and Bradford Thomas. It's a USA production, 86 minutes long. So at this point at 3.20 there is a short film showcase and that's over at the discovery screen number two but in the super screen at this time at 3.20 should have been 4.20 really uh, considering the theme but at 3.20 it's trim season and it is the international premiere of it and we go into who it stars in just a moment. It's a USA production 100 minutes long. So now we get to trim season and a synopsis that reads jobless and searching for direction. Trim season follows a group of diverse 20 somethings from Los Angeles as they head up the coast to make quick cash trimming marijuana on a secluded farm in Northern California. Cut off from the rest of the world, they soon realize that the estate is harboring darker secrets than any of them could imagine as they race against time to escape the dense woods with their lives. So, Paul, tell me your thoughts. I loved it. I, re I really loved it. Oh. Yeah, again, like with another one that we're going to come up with a bit later today, uh, I think this film uh, is way above what I expected for Fright Fest. It's a weird one because I don't know if everyone would love it and I'll be interested to hear what you think because it's a certain type of film that really ticks all the boxes that I want ticking. And when I realised who the baddie was, which wasn't because uh, I'm going by letterboxed when I look at these things with the casting and everything like that. And the main baddie wasn't mentioned on letterboxed at the time, Jane Badler. Now, mm. she is Diana from V. V, uh, my all-time favorite program maybe lost is up there but you know it's v and lost and when i saw her i was like that can't be is that her and i was already into the film but it was just like this is it i love this and it just got better and better and better and better for me i thought the tone was great i expected it to be total shit because i hate all druggy films like there's no exceptions as soon as like drugs is one of your main plot things i'm just like i don't care what the story is based around it because they're rarely about actual drugs it's just that's the background thing but yeah i usually hate it i remember i i didn't even watch train spotting for years because of the drug thing i'm bored i know enough <laughs> drug users i'm not interested i know what it's like um but no um this this thing just had me in and before i hand over to you to see what you think because as i say i just think as i said tone is great cinematography for me is stunning the score i've got to mention it joseph Bashira. he did the conjuring and also of greater note insidious which i think is one of the best scores this century uh so yeah i i just i was blown away um but as I said at the beginning, this could go either way for, for a lot of fans. Where where on the fence do you sit? Right. Well, when this film finished, first thing I did was look up. Obviously, as I normally do, to be honest, I, I look up the director. 
I see who are they? What are they, you know, what else have they done? That kind of thing. And so I looked at it, it's Ariel Vida. And I look around, and basically she was the production designer. She's she's a director as well. She's made lots of stuff, she's done lots of different things, but she was a production designer for Moorhead and Benson, particularly in their mm-hmm. film The Endless. Right. It's a good film. Right. And I think that's kind of apparent in this in some ways, because what you've got here is a film that is kind of beautifully rendered. It's constructed really cleverly, really impressively made. Some great casting in it. It's performed really well. As you said, the soundtrack's cracking. Really, really good soundtrack. I didn't realize who had done it, but yeah, it is a really nice soundtrack. You know, there are layers to this film very deep layers i was kind of seeing stuff and going oh what's all this about what's you know the the klimt painting that keeps popping up all the times three ages of women i I, I had to look it up but you know it really you know the painting but you know you're looking at that kind of thing you're looking these things up you're like oh you know okay there's stuff going on here and it's very it's rich it's it's absolutely full dense full of thoughts and care and attention and it absolutely I just couldn't get it. Ah. It did not work for me at all. And and I mean, I, this is the thing, Moorhead and Benson, exactly the same. It, wow. You know, they make these films that are clearly smart, beautifully made. They really are. You know, you, sometimes you can't believe they're kind of relatively independent, low, relatively low budget movies. Yeah. They, yeah, they yeah. look like real sort of top caliber stuff, even though they have, independent spirits about them you know the, the kind of subject matters and the pacing and stuff like that but it's exactly the same thing i don't get with their it just doesn't work for me and it, it must be me because everyone i know loves their stuff interesting you watch this and we had a quick so you mentioned it to me after saying how much yeah. you loved this one and I kind of just thought that's really interesting. I, I didn't realize that it was afterwards. I didn't start it off thinking, oh, Moorhead and Benson, oh, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be the same as this. I didn't, it was purely coincidence. It just was like, ah, right. Because I have the same feeling with Esther. It just always seems really too languid paced. Really? This film, I literally was sitting there and at like 30 minutes, I was kind of checking my kind of, well, I was checking the, the clock on the screen kind of thing, sort of just hitting pause or something, moving the mouse, like going, well, yeah. And realizing that basically I felt essentially nothing had really happened until about 30 minutes or something. It was like, oh, literally, wow. you know, yes, they, they, you were introducing the characters and clearly there was a lot going on and it was trying to develop this sort of relationships between them and so on but i as far as i could see well, you know you, you could have done that in 10 minutes interesting because like, but you know no 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 i i get that like it reminded me the the intro thing uh like of, of that first 30 minutes as well very much like the hostel movies where <laughs> okay. you know you're going you're on a journey somewhere uh, but in Hostel, they're all gung-ho. They want to go to this new place and experience this new thing, come what may. But they're all up for it. Here we've got our protagonist is like, whoa, hang on. There's a lot of red flags here. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that's like letting her go with it is that she's got a mate that she's got with her the whole time. So she feels a little bit safe, safe enough at least to go, yeah, all right, yeah. let's let's go. Into this. And I think that's what gives it an extra pizzazz. Like 
I just felt creeped out that first 30 minutes. I'm like, because I know it's a horror film. I've seen the front cover. Yeah, like, I this mean, is- uh, don't get me wrong. I, everything you say, you, you it, I literally will not agree. Uh, not disagree. I will literally not disagree with anything you are going to say in terms of why you loved it. Because yeah. I can see that in there. And, you know, I'm not giving it a sort of terrible mark or anything like that. Yeah. Because it's clearly it's a quality film. It just, just something about it just didn't didn't scare me didn't i didn't get into it enough to really the characters kind of some of them kind of grated on me i'm completely on your side with the the kind of drug film you know this sort of idea of how how many times can we hear about what marijuana does the oh you know it does all these different things oh yes it does this it does that you know and all the different types of marijuana and it's it's like yeah really okay you know and it kind of i could see how good it was i just didn't like it and that's it's a very personal thing i guess what can i yeah, say no, i mean that that's fair and i'm 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 happy like i i did predict that there's going to be a lot of these films that me and you were going to be different because we've got a slightly different taste and that's great but yeah I, for anyone that listens to the show and is sort of with me on a lot of what i like this pulled out enough from those sort of campy, don't take it too seriously, 80s stuff with that sort of beautiful imagery that you do get in those, uh, the endless type films. Like, I've never seen like a marijuana field look like that before. <laughs> um, it looks stunning. I just wanted to like lie down in 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 amongst it and just, just be one with it. It just looks so beautiful, like a painting in itself. Gorgeous. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't love it. I wouldn't say I didn't like it. I would say I, would, I didn't love it. But I would certainly suggest anyone watches it. I mean, it's it's that kind of film. It's not this sort of film that I would say don't waste the time kind of thing. There's better yeah. stuff out there because, you know, clearly it's a quality film. That, oh, that's the right. bottom line, you know? Well, I will say one last thing is definitely check out V, if you haven't, because <laughs> I love V. But Jane Badluff, like, I haven't seen her be this malevolent, this nasty, this trickstery since the v so yeah there we go um i eight out of ten for me okay i gave it a six so there you go i gave it over over middle middle would be i'm just completely on the fence this one i think is better than that i just couldn't love it but if you didn't fancy trim season well then just 10 minutes later at 3 30 over at the empire studio screen it is the european premiere of where the devil roams. This of course is by the Adamses, directors John Adams, Zelda Adams and Toby Poser with John Adams, Zelda Adams and Toby Poser also starring. It's a USA production of course, 90 minutes long. At four o'clock on the third Discovery screen, Discovery screen three if you will, it's the European premiere of The Weird Kids. The director is Zach Pacero, and it's an animation which is voiced by Sean Bridges, Ella Coltrane, Angela Bettis, Brian Seeley. It's a USA production. It is 80 minutes long. The Weird Kids, with a Z. Uh, this one, synopsis, says three 12-year-old boys, including the precocious Doug, excitedly tag along with Doug's older brother and his new girlfriend for a night of fireside camping. Their good times are rudely interrupted, though, 
when a local monster legend known as the Night Child turns out to be all too real. So uh, this one's like an animation. Yeah. This one was a kind of surprise. What did you think of it? I'm glad I've had time to stew on this before we've talked about it because I didn't like it very much when I first watched it. It's hand-drawn animation, and it took years, apparently, to, to get done. like it, yeah. But the animation is really crude. I think if you don't know it, you haven't seen the trailer, think of, do you know the Star Wars gangster rap, which came out in the year 2000? <laughs> it's the east side. It's the west side, that one. Um, well, anyway, it's a bit like that sort of animation. So it's quite crude. But instantly, because of that, I was like, oh, okay, and I know where I am in this. Sort yeah, of. yeah, yeah. What the humour was basic, PG-friendly type thing. Uh, uh, my favourite thing about it was Angela Bettis from May and 12 Hour Shift. She was in it. She does one of the voices. Um, she, uh, I looked it up because I, st- I did, was like, right, I'm trying yeah. to pick which one is she. And she's the owner of the diner. It turns I did out. the same thing, yeah. yeah. Who are you? <laughs> and it is a creature feature, you know, so all these things. But as I say, I didn't really enjoy it when I was initially watching it. Uh, I, I felt it dragged in places. But what's happened over the past couple of weeks since I've watched it, I keep thinking about it. And I, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I will go back to that. Like, there was a few bits I really liked. There was a few ideas I really liked about it. But, yeah, I was expecting w- with this thing to either be blown away or to be like, oh, God. And now i found myself somewhere in the... Yeah. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of always the way, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. What about you? What about yeah, you? I mean, I, I well, I would say kind of it, it felt to me like those sort of late 80s, early 90s, sort of 90s animations. I was thinking more, I mean... Beavers and Butthead was the first thing that sort of sprung to mind, that that kind of style of very sort of lo-fi um, kind of animation. And there's actually two characters in it that I, I would swear are based on Beavers and Butthead. Near the end, there's, there's two characters that are introduced, and they almost have the same kind of stoned laugh kind of thing. It's like that, that's... It's there's of... a lot of references in this film, you know. It's, like, it's obviously meant to be a kind of 80s pastiche, of an 80s sort of teen movie um mixed with a bit of horror yeah um as you said it, it the amount of work going into it this is basically one person i think the sound was done by another person but it's essentially the work of one person it's a huge amount of work i mean absolutely yeah. insane i mean even though the animation is fairly sort of basic in some ways that's still vast amount. No, fair fair it really is um and it is pretty enjoyable certainly in places it's not it, it doesn't feel like a, a difficult thing to get through but um you know so you've got quite sympathetic characters the kids are actually start off quite annoying like a lot of 80s movie kids tend to but you How end up you? yeah you know by the end you know you, you feel quite sort of sympathetic towards i can't say i i really liked it though it i, I thought the humor a bit less than just it really didn't kind of work for me at all. I don't think I found anything funny. Maybe I'm just got a bit too old for that sort of stuff. I don't know. Maybe 15 year old me would have loved it. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but now I just, it just didn't, it just seemed really kind of really basic stuff and didn't feel yeah. like it was very much sort of clever about it in that sense. It didn't come obviously with the animation as well. It's going for a kind of a, a very much a horror animation, and 
it's really hard for that it didn't feel scary you know because of the style and everything you never felt it was meant to you never felt particularly scary you never felt particularly involved with it and in terms of it being a, an animated story you're so spoiled with pixars or studio ghiblis and stuff like that it never felt particularly profound it, it, it never felt like it was meant to be it was kind of just meant to be a fun watch and that's fine yeah. and it kind of was but it it never elevated to anything other than that um and and yeah i mean lucky mckee was a i think a, a producer of it as well which is quite interesting because i was looking through the credits just just to see who was involved in it and the same sort of three names are kind of like going through all the different bits you know makes sense in the producer lucky mckeezer and it's an interesting one because even listening to when you interviewed him and stuff like that you can sense there's a lot of love in the film and you can sense there was a lot of sort of passion to, to do that problem is i didn't feel it really transferred through to me when i was watching it so can't say i loved it particularly uh, final thing before we move on. Do you think it's because of our age? Do you think it's actually aimed at like teens? Hard to say because the style is certainly meant to be nostalgic. But then at the same time, that kind of thing's kind of trendy now, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. younger kids are actually more knowledgeable about stuff in the 80s and 90s because it's kind of a bit of a comeback so it's hard to say you know was it meant for us to be nostalgic and think ah oh, the halcyon days of those sort of 80s yeah yeah kind of kids right. things because i didn't really feel it i kind of got it but i didn't feel it so i don't know maybe maybe not okay well yeah let's move on that was the weird kids Into the evening now, ten past six, it's the world premiere of How to Kill Monsters. It's on the super screen and the director is Stuart Spark. It stars Lindsay Crane, Aaron Dennis and Daniel Thrace. It's a UK production and it is 95 minutes long. And coming in at 85 minutes long, a USA production this time and it is a European premiere over at the Empire Studio screen for a film called New Life. The director is John Rosman and it stars Sonia Valga, Hayley Erin, Tony Amendola and Iyana Berkshire. And I'm going to read a little bit more with this one. It seems to be a thriller that doubles as an unexpected emotional powerhouse with its dimensional, atypical duo, both struggling to learn what and why of their circumstances. It continues in this blurb, New life keeps the viewer on edge as its many layers begin to unravel, conjuring considerable tension in unpredictable ways. From the producers of Something in the Dirt and the Mortuary Collection. We believe the subject is en route to the border. And uh, we can't let her cross. Can I ask you something? Why are you helping me? Your job is to bring him Jessica Murdoch alive or if necessary dead. Jessica, no. Right, so new life now. And short synopsis here. A mysterious woman is on the run. A fixer is assigned to bring her in. And the stakes of the pursuit rise to apocalyptic proportions. Mm. Mm -hmm. Sexy stuff. 
Yeah, I'm I'm feeling sexy. <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was a sexy movie. It was arousing. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, maybe the opposite. Go on, Paul. All right. It was a <laughs> contagious movie. It it does look really nice. Like just aesthetically, it feels a lot bigger budget than some of the other fare that has been around. But you can tell it's still a low budget film. Um, have I mentioned it was a contagion movie? <laughs> Once or twice. Okay, so, so I don't know how to pronounce her surname. I've never known, even though I'm a massive fan. So Sonia Walga, I would say Valga because yeah, Valga, it, must, yeah. it must be German. Um, uh, she was in Lost. And she plays Penny in Lost, and I love her, and I truly, truly love her. And I might mention again before this is over that I am <laughs> totally in love with her. Anyway, so uh, I mentioned a few moments ago when we chatted about Trim Season, anyone from V or Lost, you know, I'm instantly going to be into this film. And absolutely, exactly that. This was when it was on the list, I was like, right, I have to make sure we see this one because she's in it. I don't think it disappointed me in any way. Um, but this is going to be, apart from saying it's a Contagion movie, it's going to be really easy to spoil it, and we can't do that. So what, what I will say, because it happens quite early on, and I just want to mention this scene. As mentioned in that synopsis, she's a fixer, and she is herself. Um, there's this Contagion going on. She, she's got to find, what was it called when you're the, the originator? Like the year zero? The, you know, uh, oh, there's a <laughs> word for it. So, Aria, no, um, the person uh, zero. zero patient zero <laughs> patient. Well done. <laughs> there you go. God, we're good at this. Yeah, so <laughs> she's at she's got to find this patient zero, but she herself is showing signs of this thing called ALS, which is a, a motor neuron disease. So right. she she's starting to fall apart and she can't handle it. And there is a scene in here where a character over Zoom to her. She just says, have you had suicidal thoughts? And when she replies, yes, just saying it now gives me chills. It really shook me, uh, that scene. Really, I don't know how it manipulated me in that way. But yeah, it just absolutely got to me, made me well up. I felt white all over my body. It was so well acted. So yeah, um, again, it's really difficult to say anything else other than what I have. Uh, if I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, I really like this. Mark, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd add to that, I think, yes, I, I agree. Performances are very good in it. She's very good in it, um, and Sonia Valga. Um, I think performances across the board are really good in it. Um, I think the script is fantastic. I think it's really, really well-written film. Um, and I think that is probably the one thing that really sustains it through there because because it's so well written and so well thought through the places that it takes you as you work as you work through the film i think normally and even even in this sometimes you feel there's there's, there's sort of some of the, some of it stretches credibility um, sort of credulity i think you would say sure. at certain points there are certain decisions where people make or you'd wonder why is that you know why? Well, as you've said it here, this was this is somebody with a fairly debilitating disease, and it you know it obviously affects them physically. So why would you send say this person to to sort of to to hunt somebody down? 
Yeah. Why would you do that? Why why this person? Uh, yeah, and that kind of thing. But the beauty of it is, you, you know, there is a very good reason why it's done that. And it's a little bit, yes, manipulative because it's kind of the purpose of the film. It's the message of the film. Yeah. In many ways. But the great script, the good performances, as you say, it's very well made as well. Just the concept that's going on really does take you through most of it. And it allows you to just skip through those moments where normally in a film, a low budget film or whatever, you'd be like, hey, you kind of you let that glide over you. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's really well made. It's a really well made little film. And, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think my issue with it, and I, I can say that there definitely is, it's just I've seen it all before. And like everything in there, there was nothing new story-wise. But what it did, it did incredibly well. I'm giving it a 6 out of 10. Ooh, I'm giving it a 7. And I, I love the scoring. And the reason is, is because I know it's arbitrary. I know, you know, it actually doesn't mean a thing this is just our opinions but that i love because it's so raw we've just seen the film we're making a snap decision yeah um you know we can change it later on there are no rules in life uh, with regards to <laughs> i know now it's down on record paul that's it <laughs> but you know i think it's a real great snapshot when you come out of the cinema or if you finish watching a film on streaming or even on your phone if you want to do it that way i'm not fussy do what you want to do but like you rate it in your head you think i like that i didn't like it i love giving it a number afterwards i love that's what this podcast is about but i can feel when i do it people may be getting angry on the other side so i just want to say i'm not really sorry about it that's it it's a gut reaction isn't it that's, that's ultimately all we can do um have a little think about it and how do we feel at that particular moment and off to the next one <laughs> that's kind of the way it is at the moment really well i mean let's go to the next one at 6 20 is the european premiere of what you wish for in the discovery screen 2 the director of what you wish for is nicholas tomney and it stars Nick Stahl, Penelope Mitchell, and a bunch of others. It's a USA film. It's 102 minutes long. Knocking in at 87 minutes long. It's a Finnish production. That means it's from Finland. It's called The Knocking. And this is the UK premiere of The Knocking at 6.25 in the Discovery Screen 3. I can't pronounce the director's surname. So I'm just going to say it's by Junus and Max. Uh, and it stars people as well. Thank goodness, at 8.30, it's the world premiere of Faceless After Dark. If you saw this, well then you were at the Empire Studio screen. It was directed by Raymond Wood and it starred Jenna Cannell, Danny Kang, Danielle Lynn, Michael Aaron Milligan, other people that haven't been mentioned in my little synopsis stuff here. It's 86 minutes long and it was made in the US of A. At 8.35 though, if you didn't want to watch Faceless After Dark, well, you could go and see The Ghost Station. It was a UK premiere over at the Discovery screen number three. The director is Yong Ki-jeong and it stars people. I'm sure it does. As I said, it's South Korean. They're very long names, but I'm bound to butcher and I'm not willing to do it. It's 80 minutes long, which is really, really short. This is like a short for a Korean film. So let's dig in, shall we? 늦은 시간이라 그런지 역사에 사람이 없군. 한 장만 찍을까? 
갑자기 뭔 되지도 않은 귀신 이야기야 어디 갔지? 이거 옥수역 계단으로 나올 것 같지 않아요? Here's the ghost station. So, synopsis, reporter Na Yong and her partner investigate a series of mysterious deaths and a perplexing case where her source was allegedly already dead at the time of their interview. Together, they end up confronting a terrifying truth. Ooh. So, Paul, what do you reckon about this one? It's a very interesting setup. So, it's an interesting ghost story, but the curse element of it like straight away i was on to you and i just said like this is very reminiscent of ring uh at points <laughs> it's sort of like screaming at you do you remember ringu do you remember ringu and it's like yeah, bloody it's... hell come on there's um, one element of it isn't there in particular that is just essentially ripped straight from it really yes um but i do like the sort of thing with it that it explores the current phenomenon uh well i say current it's been going on for nigh 20 years now but clickbait articles on the mm. internet yeah. things like that and, and the responsibility of the press like those larger themes at play like i'm down with that but and, and it's a massive but it's like uh, paul when i was at my fattest but it's a big but we're talking about right now it was a chore getting to the conclusion that's how i think best to say this i i felt it lacked so much uh because i'd seen so much of it before i found it yeah that's a good word i found it a bit of a chore and the thing is a lot of the setups that happen do not get paid off and the one that sort of does it so it doesn't it's not really a setup because it comes out of nowhere that ending i quite liked but because there was so many pacing issues, uh, everything was reminiscent of other and Japanese things as well. Not Korean things, but Japanese things that I've seen in Japanese movies before. Um, I, I've, I found it really lackluster is a word I've written down yeah. here. But there was potential. As I say, I really like the beginning. The ending was like, ha ha, brilliant. But, <laughs> but it came out of nowhere. It wasn't earned. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's my brief synopsis i don't want to go too hard on it uh, what did you think yeah i'm I'm pretty much exactly like you it's um the, the the idea of the the subway station harboring the sort of ghosts of uh, this sort of idea of the suicides and it, you know it is a nice setup I and mean, there's a there's a as we know from the the plethora of underground stroke subway horror movies it's it's a it's, it's a good environment for i've never I've seen an asian one before this is a, what, a korean japanese co-production isn't it it didn't add anything to any of them i don't think it added anything to them but it, i think the, the the fundamental thing problem i had with it was i just didn't find it scary at all yeah it, i didn't find it was particularly atmospheric there was something about it i mean it's, it's well made decent performances and you know it's pretty solid as a film i didn't i, did, I couldn't sit there and say oh it's horrible it's awful but that's that's damning with faint praise right that's it yeah and you get this point where after about 15 minutes or so there's been a few sort of scares shall we say or a few setups that are supposed to get you into the kind of oh this is supposed to be creepy or you know the environment's supposed to be creepy or there's some weird stuff going on but none of it felt particularly creepy and none of it feels feels particularly weird 
there's something cold about it. I, I don't know whether it just felt that it felt kind of, as you said, I feel maybe a bit workmanlike. It felt like it was just the director and everyone working on it just wanted to make sure they didn't make any mistakes. Rather, it felt a bit right. safe. Like everyone was trying to just know, let's just try and make sure it works. Let's just try trying too hard to just make it right rather than make it good. If that makes sense, you know. I don't. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm sure they did want it to be good. I'm just saying that's what it feels when you watch it. It felt a very safe film. And after 15 minutes, if you don't, if you see what they start throwing at you and it doesn't do anything, you start to lose any worry of, well, they're not going to. So you'll get all these setups. Well, something's going to happen. But you're not sort of engaged in it. You're not like thinking, oh, what's going to happen? What are they going to throw at me now kind of thing? You're not. You're just like, well, oh, yeah, that, there it is. It's another one of those. Or, yeah, oh, right, yeah, another little jump up there, yeah. And it, it it never improves from that point. So you'd end up just gliding through it, just watching the story, and that's it, really. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit disappointing because there, there's great potential there. There was just yeah. no – it lacked originality, and it – lacked that fire in the belly of someone that really wants to be inventive with something that's already gone before like you say like just being in a tunnel you know there's so much at play there that you can really deal with and what we end up with is a few jump scares uh, and a couple of little tiny reveals but those jump scares again not particularly earned and we've seen that sort of thing before the curse angle of it as well, because there's this whole thing of it being like a sort of a curse. It's it's a grudge as people start mentioning well, I keep it. That, that kind of Asian grudge. thing about a grudge, and you realise now that's that's kind of the way we would describe a curse. Over here, this sort of idea of something bad happening in the past, so the ghost is taking it out on people now. It never feels that threatening at any point. You know, the the idea of the the mark on the person being as part of it is like a nice idea but as as we keep saying nothing seems to pay off nothing seems to matter that much it's and even the ending you're saying it's a nice ending but i, I almost felt it was like really in a way it just felt a bit sort of oh right okay obviously not going to give anything away with it because it's i wouldn't even say it's a twist but it's got a kind of well-defined no... ending but it does feel a little bit Okay. It's a completely nailed on ending. It's like, how can we end this? Like, <laughs> yeah. You haven't really built up to this. What can we no, just do it. Just but do it. But it does that. feel like they just added in a little kind of ah, but now we're going to add this little out to the curse, you know, about three quarters of the way through the film. It just randomly they seem to chuck in. Uh, and I mean, that becomes a big part of the ending. And you're like, well, that wasn't mentioned at any point, you know, prior to that. There's no sense of that being subtly added in or traced through it they just seem to add it in like oh yeah there is this oh right oh okay then so maybe i could use that <laughs> look we've got a well we've got a scary girl we've got an unshakable curse an investigation it's all there um oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah i recommend ringo at 8:45, at the super screen it is the world premiere of dr jekyll this one was directed by Joe Stevenson. It stars Susie Izzard. It stars Scott Chambers, Lindsay Duncan, Simon Callow. It's a UK Hammer production. 90 minutes in length. These things aren't stopping at 8.50. It's Pound Cake. It is the international premiere of it. Discovery Screen 2 is where you would have seen it. It's a USA production and the director is Onar Tukel. And it stars Ron Bryce and several others. 
Next up, you want an international premiere, you've got an international premiere. This is the international premiere of That's A Wrap. It's an Empire Studio screen, and that studio screen, it houses 721 people. Just so you know, I haven't mentioned that yet, and now I have. The director of That's A Wrap is Marcel Waltz. It's a USA production, it's 94 minutes long. And it stars someone called Gigi Gustin. But if you didn't fancy watching That's A Wrap over at the Empire Studio screen, well, yesterday you could have walked over to the Discovery screen number two and seen the world premiere of Werewolf Santa. You heard me, Werewolf Santa. The director is Errol Anthony Hales. It stars Emily Booth, Mark Arnold, Catherine Rodden, and also has a guest star appearance from Joe Bob Briggs. UK production, 70 minutes long. Read that. Lucy. Santa's turned into a werewolf. Might need your help to save Christmas. I'll grab my jacket. So I'm driving towards the sound of the sirens. Yes. This isn't a comic book, it's real. can only be killed by someone who loves him. And who doesn't love Father Christmas? Run! All of you, run! Okay, next up, Werewolf Santa. So, hey. let's see... <laughs> Hey, hey. Uh, Lucy has a social media channel where she hunts evidence of actual monsters. Is that a sentence? I'd say it's a sentence. It's fine. Uh, but it's but it's not doing great. <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> With just a few viewers following her disappointing posts, everything changes on Christmas Eve when her camera witnesses Santa getting bitten by a werewolf before he turns Lithan Crope Lithan tr- oh, into, a, into wolf. a werewolf. <laughs> Should have not been drinking already. Um, okay, Mark, let rip. <laughs> um, right, okay, so this is now the second of two movies that are supposedly set in Hastings. Um, Love it. <laughs> you know, and this this film doesn't look like it was set in Hastings at all because it no. wasn't. And it's like well, filmed in Hastings. It's like why would you say it's set in Hastings and not go to the seaside or something? Mad. Like that? Very odd. Anyway, oh, one word review on this one for me. Nope. 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 It's 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 not for me. I I think it's one of those uber kind of low budget movies that i think has an audience and i think there are a lot of people who are quite passionate about stuff like this mm-hmm. uh, that kind of it's almost that sort of homemade aesthetic and you know as i say with a lot of these films there's clearly a lot of passion and love behind making these things but it's just not my style it really isn't it's just too low not low budget that's not the right sense it's just too the, the sort of style of it is just meant to be too Oh God! What word do I even use? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's just too nope. <laughs> right. I watch this with my wife. They turn up in Hastings. They drive past the sign. It says Hastings. 
Must be Hastings. Uh, she was outraged that it wasn't Hastings. <laughs> she, she says, I'm out. Like, but when it wasn't Hastings. Of all the things you're going to be out on. God. Right, okay. Uh, the mum here is the same age as her daughter. I like that. That's good. Positives. I'm thinking positives. One of my favourite lines of the whole of Fright Fest was, you have to do something in your life to earn your red hair. You're not even in a band. Wow. Good, I, good. Must have, I must have missed that one. Come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, we get introduced to Santa, who gets bitten by a werewolf. And yeah. it's about at that point where my goodwill for the film sort of run out. So I was sort of enjoying its uh, clear mis misgivings, mis mistreatment of the, the, the genre it's chosen to portray itself <laughs> in. Nope. Nope, nope. Yeah, so... I don't know. The good thing, another good thing though, they didn't mm. have access to a sleigh. It did, but it looked like the sleigh that's used in like a supermarket display. Yeah, Westwood Cross Shopping Centre. <laughs> yeah, but they had that again. Not for me. Not for me. This one, but like, and if you live in Hastings, just do not watch. You get no. cross. <laughs> well, you get um, triggered. Yeah. If you live in Hastings, you probably hate it. So actually, yeah, watch it. <laughs> that's Werewolf Santa. And to wrap up the day, to wrap it all up, here for blood, it's the English premiere, 10 past 11. That's super late. And it's in the super screen. The director is Daniel Torres. <laughs> and it's with Sean Roberts, Joel Farrow, and Dee Snyder. It's called Here for Bloods. It's a Canadian production, this one. 100 minutes long. So here's what we know for sure. We're dealing with something supernatural. I don't want to say that it's vampires. I don't want to say that it's zombies. I don't want to say that it's demons. But they're definitely not human. And I have no idea how many of them there are. So, everybody grab a knife. You too, kiddo. No, no, Tom! She can't have a knife. If one of those things comes at her, I want her to be prepared. Mm. Maybe just don't tell your parents. Oh, God. <laughs> so, as I just mentioned in my little build-up thing that I've done in between our films, yeah, it's Here for Blood. Here is a synopsis for Here for Blood. Uh, when his girlfriend, Phoebe, is swamped with college exams, Tom O'Bannon, a rowdy pro wrestler struggling to make ends meet, agrees to fill in as a last-minute replacement for her well-paying babysitting job. Bosh. I didn't expect any of this. Mark, what did you think of it? Right, this, if I, I, this is the sort of film that I think, when it gets shown at the festival, we're going to see this sort of, like, massive pylon of four and a half stars mm. maybe fives maybe fours but four and a half stars probably 
of people saying one of the highlights of the festival, you know, the screening full of people cheering and, you know, it's that kind of film, a horror festival. This is going to be one of those films that people remember that people still talk about in like five years or 10 years or something. They'll be like, Oh, were you at that? It just has that vibe about it. Now sitting at home, watching it, you know, with a glass of lemonade and a packet of Doritos, I would have to say yeah, you live it up at home. I know. Right. <laughs> yep. Right. So <laughs> does I don't think it quite has the same same effect. But having said that, still really enjoyed it. Still really enjoyed this film. And yeah. I, I thought, you know, I'd watched the trailer when we were going through all the, the films sort of discussing, you know, the stuff we were looking forward to and our expectations. And this one, by the looks of the posters, when I'm looking up the list, I'm thinking, eh? yeah. watched the trailer and thought, actually, the trailer looks kind of fun. looks kind of stupid and you know, a bit silly and over the top. But I, I like the kind of, I think I made a mention, it was almost like kiss costumes. Right? It's the masks and stuff like that. But they, they almost, you know, it had that kind of campy 70s stroke 80s feel to it, a little bit warriors type thing. Some of those costumes, kind of silly premise. Would all depend on the performances, would all depend on that script, whether it would, could be funny or not. Yeah. And I think, I think overall it, it does hold up. I think that's one of the best things about it is you go in and you're like, think, oh, okay, this is the, and it, I think it really does, it keeps it up through most of its runtime. And I think that's really good. I think a lot of the performances are surprisingly quite good. You know, you've got, you know, big meatheads, wrestler dudes, yeah. who, you know, could be the worst. I mean, he could come across as a complete Arnie type thing, you know, in Twins or something like that. Like, what? Doesn't. He's actually quite decent in it. He can deliver a good funny line. You know, he's, he, he, perform, he plays the character really well. Yeah. You know, he's sort of fishing yeah. out water thing in the, the whole house and doing the babysitting and everything is <laughs> works. It's funny, you know. Um, the script they have, I, I think the jokes hit more often than not. I think that's a really good thing. Um there are I I had a few good laugh out loud laugh out loud moments. You know, I enjoyed that. Lots of gore. Well, there's certainly lots of blood effects. Yeah. Quite a bit of gore of effects, you know, in, yeah. in a very kind of campy, silly. As I, I read a lot of people comparing it in some ways to Evil Dead, and it has that sort of, maybe without the nastiness, but it has that sense of the kind of homemade sort of gore, love of gore and sort of over-the-topness of, of the gore. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. And, yeah, as I say, in a packed theatre, this this I think would be a real crowd pleaser. At home, hmm, starts to sort of fade away a little bit. But did you? What did you think? Did you think the same sort of thing? I did indeed. Yeah, I do believe you're in, incredibly accurate here because this one played Fright Fest Scotland, didn't it? And it got carried over because it was such a like you say like a rowdy success. Yeah. On their screenings, uh, yeah. so that yeah, it's been introduced to Fright Fest London. I'm proper glad it did, and I remember this wasn't on our list, uh, like you said, like wasn't on our list of choices. You wouldn't, no, you wouldn't look at the poster or the the, the synopsis and like think, oh, this is this is going to be a cracker. But yeah, the trailer me, was a good one. Though. Makes me wonder what else we're missing from the the ones we selected <laughs> to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I, 
I didn't like the intro, the wrestling thing, and I, it set me up for this. Oh, do you know what? I don't like wrestling. I'm not mm. into wrestling. No, I mean neither. This film's gonna suck. But once I got on board with it, once I caught the tone of what was going on, I really enjoyed it. It reminded me a lot of like straight to video junk that I used to love in the eighties. Uh, and very early 90s as well it had that feel maybe not look about it but it definitely had that feel yeah and it, it knows it you can sense that's exactly. what it's really riffing off of isn't it that's it. which is which is what i what i really wanted when i watched yeah. it you know if i if i wanted something heavy like this is not that like this is pure fun um i also like a little bit of the the supernatural element that just mm-hmm. seems like why have you put that in there? Like, you know, it, 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 this film didn't need that, and yet you did it, and I still didn't mind it. So, yeah, um, altogether, Here for Blood was a complete flipping surprise. I yeah. really enjoyed myself with it. Yeah, yeah, loads of references as well. I'm sure sort of real horror nerds will love sort of going through it and just sort of doing a Leonardo DiCaprio point every time something sort of pops up that, you know, like, you know, from every like, little shop of horrors kind of thing, you know, that all these little sort of bits that are really obviously put in there. To please yeah. idiots like us. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's got to work harder than that. Come on, we're professionals. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> in, a, in a sort of negative sense, I do think it's too long. I do think it overstays its welcome a little bit, which is a shame because I think not 20 minutes off of it, it would almost be ending on a high. But as you said, it goes into this sort of supernatural thing and it, and then it just kind of stalls a little bit and it doesn't really do an awful lot apart from kind of trundle along. The conclusion kind of feels very dragged out. Like it, it doesn't really feel like they're, they're achieving anything. Just It's just the ending. Oh, right. So, you know, you know, there's this sort of big battle coming up. Okay. But it yeah. just kind of lasts for, for 20 odd minutes. And, and, and then, yeah, okay. There you go. The film is if they could have compressed that right down. And I think you would have got away with it because it comes in at an hour and 40, which I just think with a lot of the other films we've been watching as well, there's no reason why this film couldn't have come in at an hour 20, hour 25 and quite happily finished around about that. And I think I'd have been a lot happier. I think this would have been. Seeing it in the cinema with a crowd, this would have been an eight or a nine. 20 minutes at home, 20 minutes shorter, it would have been a seven. As it is, I'm giving it a six. Nice. Uh, I'm giving it a seven. I think uh, I did not expect to enjoy it. And I actually went in feeling negative about it when it started. It made me feel worse. And then it is like a click, just like a switch. And yeah, I was on board. There we go, that's it. And that's it, people. If you like what you heard, why not subscribe to the regular show? Every month I choose a year at random out of the bag and then I watch all the horror films in that year that score a three out of five or above on Letterboxd. And then I will invite guests on and we chat about them. Sometimes they're directors, sometimes musicians, sometimes friends, authors, critics, whoever. Whoever I want to talk to, I tend to ask them and they'll come on. That's the show. There's also a Patreon channel where you can support the show and get at least four exclusive episodes per month. It's at patreon.com forward slash a year in horror. But if you're thinking to yourself, it's too much hassle, sod that guy, 
He laughed because he couldn't pronounce a few names. Well, why not just rate the show? Apparently it extends the reach. It does that. It extends the reach. I don't know if it's true. Still, just like yesterday, I've no clue. Do the algorithms pick it up in that way? I don't know. So anyway, you fright fest fart knockers. Gonna see you tomorrow on A Year in Horror. <laughs>